Hey, friends and fellow walkers, today on the show, a roundtable discussion about human trafficking. So much crazy information that's been out there in this last year. So we're going to talk about what actually does human trafficking look like in our context, in our culture, in our country, and are there actually ways that we can work together to get rid of it? Don't turn it off just because it's uncomfortable. Let's get it going. If we're not reading the Bible through Jesus and we're taking everything as equal and giving everything uh, the same weight and taking it at its face value, the Bible's an incoherent text. How can you say, listen to the cries of the poor without looking at what makes them poor? You don't have to believe certain things to be part. The irony is that you can be pro-guns, pro-death penalty, pro-military, anti-environment, and still say you're pro-life. But people get really uncomfortable. It's like they want to have their religion and they want to have their porn. They want to do both. I don't think any form of Christianity deserves to survive and thrive if it doesn't come to terms with the racism of our past. When we really tell the story of Jesus, we find a God who comes to the point where it has all collapsed. If a good teacher is to get a student to get the right answers on the test, and if Jesus was supposed to get us to get the right answer for when we die, then can we just be honest and say, not a good teacher? All right, as always, our sponsor for Jesus Never Ran is Angie Nisco with Rise Nutrition. You can find Angie on Facebook at Rise Manami. That is Rise with a Z. And click in the show notes and you can get your free wellness profile just for Jesus Never Ran listeners. That's Angie Niska with Rise Nutrition. All right, today on the show, talking about a difficult subject, but here's the reality. Human trafficking is the fastest growing criminal enterprise in the world. So if we don't talk about it, it's not going to get better. So today on the show, a roundtable discussion with John Pulley and Amanda Casey. Well, welcome everyone to Jesus Never Ran, second ever roundtable discussion. And until I get more comfortable, I'm just going to keep inviting my friends. And so John did a great job last time. So we brought back John Pulley talking about different subjects. So we've got John Pulley and we've got Amanda Casey with us today. And we're going to talk about something kind of lighthearted and fun today, which is the real faces of human trafficking in our culture. That'll be fun. So in the midst of a really strange year or year and a half, when human trafficking was all over the news, but not necessarily in good ways, where we had things like QAnon and people no. talking about kids under the Capitol and in tunnels under New York City, like just crazy stuff that was on mainstream news. And I was Amanda and I were talking, I was like, I think some people actually voted in the election based on the thought that there was like kids chained up under the Capitol. I think some people yeah. voted for a serious candidate based on that. So why don't you guys just start by sharing a little bit about who you are and what makes you, I don't want to say an expert, but kind of like an expert in this field, somebody who can speak to us with confidence and understanding to help us all understand what human trafficking actually looks like so that we can work together to, to fight against it. So I'm Amanda Casey. I've been in this field for the last five or six years. When I first started working in this field, I was volunteering and started reading books on trafficking to find out what it actually was and found out 
through reading those books that I was a survivor myself. That that weird situation when I was a teenager was actually had a name and was called trafficking. So and you never, so you didn't I had put no two idea. and two together until you actually started volunteering yeah. with anti-trafficking organizations. Right. That's, that's yep. fascinating. The organization I was volunteering with, the director said, hey, why don't you read Roadmap to Redemption by Rebecca Bender? And that's what we use with the women in our program. So if you read it, maybe you'll learn more about the topic and how to work with survivors and all of that and I sat down and started reading it and was floored at how much was my own story was just laid out in front of me and that there were terms for things that I just thought were weird this weird situation that happened and so I did a lot of my own work to pursue healing and kept volunteering in the field. And then a few years later was offered a job working as an advocate. So went through advocate training and have been doing it ever since. John Pulley, what makes you important enough to sit right over there in that chair by the microphone? Well, (laughs) my path was more interesting in some ways. Um, You know, I I am a person that is, in, in a lot of ways, I was just a normal guy in that growing up, I'd had some experience with, you know, looking at, you know, people had seen pornography, I'd seen it. And for me, I think that my my pornography addiction became a sex addiction, uh, which led me down some very dark paths and ultimately ended up getting arrested because my sex addiction took me that far. Went through about 10 years of treatment that uh, the state of Texas graciously provided for me uh, as I was required to go. <laughs> um, but, you know, that treatment was really wonderful. And in the, in the course of that, I met some uh, men that have really impacted my life. And, and I've done a lot of work, uh, a lot of work on the addiction, a lot of work on that side. And I got an opportunity uh, a little over two years ago, almost... Uh, three years ago now, to speak and tell my story at a Shared Hope International Conference over in St. Paul, Minnesota. I was living in Dallas at the time. And kind of like Amanda, you know, I had gone through things that I didn't have names for in the human trafficking world. Human trafficking to me was some kid getting stolen in a van and taken overseas. Um, When I spoke at that conference, I learned so much more. I learned what trafficking really looks like in the United States and just how prevalent it is. Uh, and it kind of shook me to the core. And I, I had stayed in contact. I'd met Fierce Freedom uh, at the uh, here in Eau Claire. I had met them at, at the conference and stayed in touch with them. And they invited me to come up here and work for them to fight demand. And I've been doing that for actually entered my third year of fighting demand last month which means I've done it for two years. Yes, so So this is why this conversation is so amazing that the two of you didn't just sit down and read a bunch of books about human trafficking in order to become experts or to become people who are in the field. You lived it out for a while Mm -hmm. in really difficult, horrific situations and what I would describe as horrific situations, knowing both of your stories. And now you're these beautiful stories of what it looks like to be an overcomer and you're using that, which is what we all should do in every stage of life, you're using your own story to help other people in their stories. And that is what life is all about. Mm -hmm. And so I just, you know, from the bottom of my heart, just thank you guys for what you do and know that every day that I get to work around you is an absolute inspiration. So it's just awesome to be here with you. 
my introduction to human trafficking was a couple of books that were given to me by somebody who does work with international human trafficking. And so my initial understanding was quite literally kids being chained up or housed and with locked doors and then forced to do sex acts in third world countries. So that was my understanding because that is true. That is a a true form of human trafficking. But I think because of the daunting nature of that, that sticks on us when we hear about it. And so when I started meeting people like yourselves and started hearing this strange concept of human trafficking actually happening in my city. I couldn't get my mind wrapped around it. Because it's like, there's no way that there's kids locked up in someone's basement that are being forced to, you know, have sex with other people. Like, I couldn't get my mind wrapped around it. Ever since, uh, again, connecting with you guys, connecting with Fierce Freedom here in Eau Claire and other resources, started to understand, and I'm still unfolding my understanding of what domestic human trafficking looks like, which is really what we're working with here. So again, in the realm of a culture that has had some really strange concepts of human trafficking this last year. Do you guys mind sharing, and I know there's no one exact way that it looks like, but do you mind sharing what human trafficking in America, in a small community, in an urban setting, what that can look like in our culture, just so the listeners have a little bit of a better understanding of what it is that we're actually talking about? I can start. I mean, I know that there are uh, it's been in the news recently with the shootings in Atlanta. Um, you know, massage parlors, they're everywhere. And legitimate massage is a wonderful thing because I know plenty of them that are wonderful people. I kind of feel like all these poor, like, legitimate massage, like, professional masseuses are, like, freaking out right now because they're right? like, this is actually a legitimate career that I'm in here. Exactly. And, you know, I think that even, you know, when I was on the flip side of this equation and when I was out buying, I would go to a massage parlor, and I remember looking at a massage parlor and going in, and, you know, I remember there was a door that came out from the back that was locked, and I always thought, oh, that's really smart. If the police came, you can get out really quickly, right? Because, you know, you you live the way that you think the way yep, that you do. Yep. Well, the way it looks is, and we even talked to somebody about this yesterday on our podcast, is somebody from the Philippines says, hey, I've got a job for you somewhere where you can make a lot of money. And they bring you over, and then when you get here, they take your passport, they take your documentation, and they put you in this place that they say, okay, now you're going to give massages to people to make money. And what I learned after the fact is that these massage parlors that look so innocuous or, ah, you know, it's just a little thing that people do every now and then, it's okay. But really, that locked door wasn't there for me. It was there for them. And... The locked door, you know, I saw a suitcase in the back one time, and I thought, oh, somebody must be taking a trip. It never dawned on me, oh, someone lives here behind this locked door, right? Because I think we have so pornified and sexualized our culture that we walk into situations like that and think, ah, that's just kind of the way it is, right? It's an exchange of dollars for sex, and you move on. And even if you don't participate in that, you understand it as that is the concept. Well, that's the way trafficking looks like. They're using force, fraud, coercion to force someone to do a commercial sex act for something of value, right? So these women that are there, 
you know, allegedly providing a service, they're doing it because they have to. They have no documentation to get back home. They have nothing. Now, again, that's more, that's international, but it's also what happens in massage parlors that are Asian, Latina, I mean, you know, all those kinds of things. So that's one example of how it looks like. Yeah. And that's a, a great example showing that the piece that makes it trafficking is the force and the coercion. That is the the piece that really defines it as trafficking. And also if you're under 18, for sure. Right. Amanda, how about you? Give us a, a situation based on your work that, that would give us an idea of what trafficking can look like in our culture. Yeah, I think especially in small towns, it looks very different. Sometimes we obviously still have massage parlors, but a lot of times it's... Um, Someone meeting someone else online, uh, building what they feel is a relationship. Oftentimes, this is how teenagers will get into the life. They'll meet someone online that they think is their friend, start having conversation. One person in particular that I'm thinking of sent a picture to this friend, that new friend they met online in an outfit and was like, hey, do you think my outfit looks okay? And the person was like, yeah, I think it looks great. But then, you know, made a comment about their body, ended up progressively sending images that um, there was less and less clothes until nude images were exchanged. And then once those images were exchanged, they were using those nude images as leverage to get them to do sexual acts for men in the community. So I won't show your parents these sexual acts. I won't send it to your youth group or your school if you go and provide sexual services for these people that I'm setting up at a hotel. And this in particular uh, situation, they did it out of their home. Um, Parents had no idea what was going on. You know, in our culture, we're not around our kids 24-7. I don't think any culture is around your kids 24-7 anymore. And so, um, you know, parents were at work and there was time between school and work and she would have to go and service men who wanted these sexual acts. And so that's a lot of what I see. So it's almost, I mean, when you say that, it's its blackmail. I don't know how else yes. to say it. It's basically they're blackmailing yep. people into sexual services. Right. So we would call it sextortion okay. um, is usually the term that we put on it. However, it is a form of blackmail. Um, the kids don't often, the teenagers don't often realize that it is blackmail and that they actually are a victim. They feel like, well, I got myself in this situation. I don't know how to get out of it. Um, and so usually it continues you know, that's one form. Another form we see is they build relationship with someone. Usually the grooming process takes six months to a year if the trafficker is doing what they would call a good job. <laughs> I mean, it seems awful the to say that way. Like, great job. It right. should only take about six months. Right. right. So if they're really taking their time and grooming their victim in a way that the victim's not going to try to run, it's going to take six months to a year. They're building relationship. They're figuring out what the person's vulnerabilities are. They're providing a need for that person. So if that person needs food, they're going to provide food. If they need clothing, they're going to provide clothing. In my particular situation, when I was a teenager, I came from a poor family. And I also came from a family where there wasn't a lot of love and attention being given to me. So he provided those things for me. And then at some point, there's an ask. Well, if you love me as much as you love me, I want you to go provide sexual services for my friend. Or I want you to go dance in a strip club. Or I need you to go and do this to make money because I already paid for all your clothes. 
So now you need to give me some of that money back. So it's putting them in a situation where there's an ask that they're not comfortable with. And once they do it that first time, they have leverage then to keep them doing it because it's an embarrassing, it feels shameful to the victim oftentimes. But I think the the myth is that it's somebody that they don't know, you know, and really it's someone who's built relationship with them, whether it's online or in person. Yeah, from my understanding, the vast majority of trafficking comes from people that are very close to the victim. Is that true? Yeah, close to the victim or, like I said, they've built relationship with them over time, either online or in person. In our culture today, we're building relationships online. And the reality is, is I can be anybody I want to be online. So when we're meeting, when they're meeting online with these people, you don't know who you're meeting with until we meet in person. And by the time they've met in person, it's too late. Well, I think that brings up something, too. I think it's a very interesting generational disconnect on this whole subject, right? Because when I grew up, no cell phones, no internet. And so if someone was going to spend time grooming me and getting to know me, they would have to come pick me up and take me somewhere. And I lived in a town where if somebody strange is taking me somewhere, someone's going to see and tell my dad or my mom. And I think that... Growing up in that world, the concept of someone building a relationship or grooming someone solely online, even though we've become very technological at this in this day and age, no matter what our age, I think it's still very important to understand that what we see is, well, that's just dumb. No one could do that online. Yeah, they do it every freaking day. Right. And, I, and, and I think there's that's part of why there's some huge disconnect among people in doing this is I think there's a generational disconnect based on communication styles and preferences that exist today that just weren't even around. And I think that's really important in light of this conversation also because lawmakers, authoritative figures are like older generations, Mm -hmm. whereas most of the people being affected are younger. Mm -hmm. And so that disconnect is really going to create problems when it comes to legislation, when it comes to trying to fight this in our communities. And I think we've all experienced a little bit of that, that pushback, almost as if this can't really be as bad as you're you're talking about but we all know i mean you don't have to look too far in your headlines to see that it's it's happening right next door right in your community you know we can try to turn a blind eye to it but that doesn't help (laughs) that you know this is one of those things where we all as a community as a culture have to suck it up and deal with it because it's a reality now a part of the part of the problem too is this normalization of sexual behaviors that lead to trafficking. I recently heard, and maybe you can enlighten me because I'm just not I'm one of those guys as well that technology is not my A game. But there was a new like social media type app that do you do you know what I'm talking about? About OnlyFans? Yes, that's the uh-huh. one. My teenage children told me about it and I bought oh crap myself because right, it was like it, it was scary yeah. like i don't get scared by much but that that seemed like a uh, open door to the whole problem it seemed like just inviting it in almost like a well, teenager so anybody tricky. could say come on it's such a tricky app um john and i were having a conversation about this the other day because you know the premise of it seems harmless Depending so just on how it, you, because I still don't know a lot about it. So describe it to the it's listeners. It's basically of the show. an app where you post images of yourself, and people pay to see those images. Now, you know the slippery slope is well. I could post a picture of my toe, 
and somebody can pay $10 to see my toe. Well, is that wrong? It's a toe, right? Like that's the thinking that's trapping people is it doesn't seem like, well, why would that be a problem? Well, the problem comes in is the person looking at that image is usually looking at it for a sexual reason and they want more and more. So then they start asking for more and I can guarantee that in the private messages, a lot of dick pics are going to come through in those messages, a lot of images that maybe you're not even asking for. And so it's a slippery slope because, well, if they'll pay $10 to see my toe, what are they going to pay to see another part of my body that normally I wouldn't feel comfortable sharing, Mm -hmm. you know? And so it's this, it's the same concept that we've seen with the sugar daddy craze in the colleges. Well, what's the harm at going out to so eat explain, with someone? Explain the sugar daddy craze. Yeah. So what's the harm in going out to dinner with some older guy who's going to pay for my college bill? Gotcha. Well, is there, there might not be any harm in it, but when he asks for a sexual act, can you say no? Well, if he's paid thousands of dollars towards your college bill and now he wants you to do X, Y, or Z, you don't feel like you can say no. Or there's a consequence to it if you say no, which is, well, he's not going to pay for anything anymore. You know, so it's putting this pressure and it's a slippery slope that groom, it's grooming behavior. It's teaching us that this behavior is normal and is acceptable and setting it up so that when a trafficker does come along and is now requiring them to do that same behavior and to turn over any financial gain to them, then it's natural. Well, of course I'm going to do that. It's not a far jump from having a sugar daddy who's giving me money for spending time with him. And if you want to build a stable of women, if you're a trafficker, what better place to go to than a site that's full of women that are looking for money to be able to pay for something Mm -hmm. and are willing to go to dinner, you know, and it would become something else, which becomes something else. But yeah, I mean, it's a perfect breeding ground for that. Yeah. John, I know you have a little bit of soapbox about uh, this, just the normalization of sex in our culture. So sh- share a little bit about your thoughts on this topic. How long is your podcast? <laughs> we can edit as much out as we need to. Fair enough. So, no, I mean, I, I think that the problem with the sexualization of our society, the pornification of our society, which I heard that term from Exodus Cry one time. But, I mean, I think that's true. Like, Porn has become an innate part of our culture now. It's, I mean, like my dad growing up, the I Love Lucy show couldn't say pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> and we all laugh when I say that. That's the least of our concerns now. But porn and sex has just filtered its way into it to where there's really kind of two extremes in our society. One is the the church extreme or religious extreme of don't ever have sex. It's bad. Sex is bad. Sex is bad until you get married. And then sex is great. Sex is great. I don't know how that works, but yeah, it's like sex is horrible and dirty and you should only do it with your wife. Right. Save it for the one you love. <laughs> exactly. Well, and then the opposite extreme, right? You can have sex with anybody, anytime. No one can judge you for whatever else. The, our problem is we've set up sex as the goal. And the purpose of sex is not simply to get off. The purpose is intimacy. If you want to grow relationships, you've got to grow intimacy. And sex can have something to do with intimacy, but intimacy does not have to have anything to do with sex. And I think that's what people are seeking. But 
TV, billboards, movies, they all portray sex is it. Yeah, I'm just going to say this, and I might rethink it and edit it all out. But Fantastic. When, when John, when you and I were younger, there was, because something about relationship that's important, a romantic relationship is the pursuit, right? Mm. That sort of pursuit was also involved in trying to find a photograph of a naked woman as a teenager oh when we were growing up. Sears catalog, baby. <laughs> right. You started with the Sears catalog <laughs> yeah, and you worked your way to, to you know, uh, your friend's dad's closet in the <laughs> garage or whatever. But there was a pursuit to pornography. There mm-hmm. just was. And I don't want to say that that was necessarily healthy, but it wasn't overly unhealthy from a standpoint of it kind of taught you that this is a for the lack of better words like this holy grail that we're pursuing which is a a woman and you had to work to find your way there and if you if you look at that in relation to a relationship if we look at women as as this beautiful thing to be pursued you can make a little bit of a transition but now now all you have to have is a smartphone or a computer in front of you and there's zero pursuit it'll take you two seconds to find a picture of a naked woman well and it's the same thing in relationships so when i talk to a lot of our teenagers it's the same thing like they've never experienced butterflies in their stomach when they held hands for the first time Hmm. because the way that they start dating is sending sending a nude image that's a great point so that's the immediate response is well if we're dating then we're somehow being sexual together and so they have no idea what it feels like to you know watch somebody from across the room for a few months and be nervous to say something and then Mm -hmm. him to walk up and just barely touch their hand and they get the butterflies and you know all the the teen girl like emotion they have no idea what that's like and so if we're really going to have that conversation like it goes it plays so much more into why we're seeing people be trafficked um, because it is overly sexualized it's normal to send a nude image it's not only just normal it's expected Hmm. that that's how things work nowadays and so our culture has groomed people that sexuality is to be used to your advantage and to get what you want and so then why wouldn't it be okay or why would it be a problem for my boyfriend to insist that i have a sexual relationship with someone else because that's just what it's all about right as going back to what you were saying john Okay, probably the biggest question that we have to deal with then is, I mean, this this is daunting. It's It makes sense to me my people just close their eyes and act like this isn't happening because it's so daunting and it's so disturbing on a lot of levels. So where do we start trying to become a solution to this epidemic that's, that's in our world? Because I think a lot of people listening to this show will want to know, well, okay, that makes sense. What do I do? Because we have, you know, Americans are can do people like how do we fix this (laughs) right so what's what's something we can do maybe one step or a couple things that we can be focused on so that we're all doing our part in this fight against human trafficking because there's people like you guys who are just in it every day meeting with survivors like creating content just out there doing it in it to win it and then there's everybody else who has to do their own part within the context of their own life what does that look like i can tell you it looks like it it's very simple Keep educating people. Anyone listening to your podcast this week that hasn't been under a rock, 
understands that MindGeek and Pornhub are in hot water with the Canadian government, with governments around the world. And the reason that they're in hot water is because one person at one organization said, we need to stop this. One person at Exodus Cry. She started, you know, Stop Pornhub as a thing. And what she did is she put out this just this simple thing. Sign up now if you want to stop Pornhub. And we had uh, Helen Taylor from Exodus Cry on our podcast. And she was saying that there was responses from over 120 countries. And there's, what, 128 countries? Wow. So what it showed is there is this undercurrent of this stuff needs to stop. And the reason that they have got so much traction is because it was proven that Pornhub had underage girls who were raped on their website right. didn't take it down. They had trafficked women on their website and didn't take it down. They had all these things. And what that that one person did, they started... Now, again, it's her job to do this every day, but I'm saying the education of your friends, of your family, of your children of your parents. The education will allow people to start to see it for what it is because the biggest thing is the definition. How do we understand force, fraud, and coercion? Trafficking happens overseas, not here, right? So I think sticking with having these uncomfortable conversations. For us, this is not an uncomfortable conversation. We talk about it every day. (laughs) However, for the majority of people that I know, to sit down and really talk about what happens and how it works, it is so hard. But I think that's how, if you say, "What what are you doing? Continue to educate and continue to talk about this. Don't let this die. She didn't let it die about Pornhub, and Pornhub is getting all kinds of ramifications across the world. Yeah. And what we're seeing culturally, which is so exciting. I mean, it's been a a rough thing to watch, but we're literally seeing in our country the voice of the people making a huge difference, whether we're talking about trafficking, whether we're talking about racism, whether we're talking about spiritual abuse. We're seeing people just use their voices to unite. This is where social media is spectacular because we didn't have this ability when John and I were growing up. I don't include you in that conversation because I never want to you know, assume that you're age. It's just because I'm not old. Well, my grandmother had a party line. Was that social media? Yes, that's, that was old school. <laughs> social media. But that's that's where we can use that in really positive ways of gathering people. I mean, I remember, yeah, it, it, it doesn't have to be legislation from up top to stop something like this. That actually takes way longer than just the people crying out in a grassroots way. I mean, what was it? The, the beginning of the end of the South African apartheid happened when Kodak got involved, you know, when they started pulling industry from that country. It was such a huge part of their, their infrastructure and their financial, uh, you know, Uh, well-being that, you know, again, somebody in a room in an office said, we want to do something about it. Hey, we've got a plant over there. Hey, let's pull it and see what happens. And it was really the beginning of, of that that crumbling in a lot of ways, which is amazing. Same thing we're seeing happening with Pornhub right now. We also saw, you know, some of the major credit card processors pull their services from Pornhub. So this is something that we can just look at, you know, keep the conversation going, but also where, what are you leading? What are you in charge of that? Maybe you can do something as well, whether that's locally or on a, on a huge level for sure. What do you think, Amanda? What's the, what's the way that we, what's, what's step one or step one, two, three, or four? I mean, education, I agree is huge and educating young people. I think we wait way too long to talk to kids and teens. The assumption is that nobody knows about this until high school. 
and you know then only certain high schools have this issue well actually I have three children of my own and even my third grader knows and has come home talking about sex or about some situation going on at school that would fall within the sexual exploitation trafficking scenario. So kids are hearing things very young, and I'm the type of person and parent who believes I would rather have the first conversation with my kid about it and help establish what their thought process is around it than wait until it's too late and somebody has already had a conversation with my kid about it. So for parents and guardians and teachers, we've got to start talking to the kids in our lives way sooner than what we are. I tell parents all the time, it's never too early to start having some form of this conversation. Obviously in age appropriate ways, however, let's start the conversation. And I think the other thing is, is we have to address what it is in our life that makes this so uncomfortable. Mm There's a reason it's so uncomfortable for us. And oftentimes it is some form of abuse or a situation that made us feel uncomfortable, but we didn't know how to say anything. I can't tell you how many times we do an educational event and somebody comes up in tears. I think this happened to one of my friends or I saw this situation and I couldn't even touch this topic because I felt guilty about it for the last five years. I don't think the purpose of us having these conversations or educating is to make people feel guilty. I think the purpose is let's keep having conversation and figure out, okay, well, what are we going to do next time? You know, when you know more, you can do better. So I think it's important to just sit with yourself and ask, why am I so uncomfortable? What happened in my life that I need to get healing for? How can I walk alongside others as they're growing up? without fear because I've addressed my own struggles. Yeah, that is so fascinating because we have this wild contradiction, right? Where sex is something in really inappropriate ways we in our culture are really probably overly comfortable with. It's all over media. It's all over everything we watch. Like sex is just something that everybody's talking about. It's in all of the songs. But when it comes to sexual abuse or human trafficking, oh, that feels uncomfortable suddenly, which seems crazy when I say it out loud because we're still just talking about sex. Just one is a little different in the nature of why we're talking about it. So I don't know what makes us so uncomfortable talking about the negative side of it and so comfortable talking about John's raising his hand. (laughs) Hey, what's the name of this podcast again? Jesus Never Ran. His church does all the time from this topic and this subject, and it's a problem. We we have, I mean, the statistic that came out from, like, I forget, 10, 15 years ago said that 70% of Christians have looked at porn in the last month, and no one's talking about it in the church. We'll talk about it in our music and in our movies, and hey, she's hot when she walks by, but we won't get honest and authentic at the real, at the table when we're sitting down talking to people. We won't get real. Say penis or vagina in your church and see what happens. Everyone's going to freak out because no one can say those. We're afraid to talk about it. And I think that the truth is, I think if you get underneath all of this, we've got to get authentic and vulnerable. And we've got to talk about the things that we're wrestling with. I think if if we want trafficking to change, we've got to change the heart that we have of the people sitting in the chair right now listening needs to change, not everyone else. 
I need to change. I need to change my philosophies, my attitudes, my approach. And it's got to start with me being honest enough to go, yeah, I still look at a woman as an object sometimes and not as a human being. And I do that when I look at pornography. And I do look at pornography sometimes. And how do we handle that? Do you have people you talk to about it? I think that's something I go, that's one of the biggest things we got to figure out. So Yeah, there was a, a pastor once. I, I heard him guest speak at a, another church. And his church was all about helping sex addicts overcome. And they had a lot of people in their church that had you know, been in trouble with the law because of it, all sorts of things. And, and when I was talking to him, he said, here's the reality. Every pastor in America has a lot of sex addicts in their congregation. I just happen to know who all of them are in my congregation. Wow, Fantastic. That's I was like, oh, it's I so want to true go there. because I know it was, I think it was down South somewhere. So you'd, you'd love it. I think it's, it's in Oklahoma, idea. actually. I think I've heard of this. Now, the other thing that I'm thinking of as we talk about this is another part of our culture that really struggles is this ability to, in a healthy way, handle conflict. I'm thinking about the teenager or the 20 something who's seeing their friend in a relationship that at least from out here, it's just not looking healthy. There's some things that make us concerned, but we certainly don't want to bring it up because we don't want to lose that friend or we don't want that friend to get upset with us. Again, if we can back this up as far as possible, if we can railroad the relationship as soon as possible, then there's a better chance that it never gets to the space where it is trafficking or where it's just in a really, really unhealthy place. Right. Yeah, I mean, we're scared to have hard conversations. Brene Brown talks about that all the time. Um, She calls it rumbling when (laughs) you both sit down and you're addressing a problem, but you're not attacking each other. And it's something our culture, we tend to attack each other instead of looking at the issue. And if we can get better at it, it's going to help us be able to address and not be so scared that we're going to lose a relationship because we said, hey, I think this is dangerous or, hey, I think this is an unhealthy situation. Now, I'll be honest, in my own situation, I had someone come up to me and tell me that they thought it was unhealthy and I completely blew them off and told them that they were crazy and had no idea what was going on, partially because they were crazy and had no idea the severity of what was going on and the fact that traffickers are really good at holding other people over your head. So the trafficker I had said he was going to go after my sister if I didn't continue doing what he wanted. I also knew he was in the process of grooming three other girls in my youth group. And so in my mind, by me staying in the situation, I was protecting those other people. So when they called me out on it, of course I was going to fight them because I was protecting someone else. And I think those are the things that if we can start understanding some of the mindsets of the victim, it will help us in having those hard conversations. You know, had someone said to me, do you feel safe with this person? My answer probably would have been, yeah, he's fine. Had they watched my body language, had they asked, well, do you feel like you are in a relationship where you can say no at any time? my answer would have been completely different. I probably wouldn't have answered that question. Mm -hmm. I would have diverted it because I would have never been able to say no to him. When he said, answer the phone, I answered the phone. When he said, put this article of clothing on, I put the article of clothing on. And so there's ways in relationships that 
we can ask questions that are rumbling and not attacking each other, but is also being considerate of the fact that if we think someone's in a trafficking situation, they're likely being controlled or manipulated to believe something that may not be true. Mm-hmm. So we have to take all of that into account as we're having conversations with people, which is why, you know, as an advocate, I don't expect people to do this perfectly. That's partially why I have a job. You know, people call (laughs) me and say, hey, I think somebody's going through this. What should I what should I ask them? How should I have this conversation? So that's I mean, a whole we could sit here for hours and talk about how to have conversations with victims, potential victims. You know, you have conversations with you have conversations with people that you have relationships with mm-hmm. if you want to have conversations like the ones that need to have like you're talking about have to stem from true relationship meaning not only do i they allow themselves to be open enough for me to see them but i've got to open myself enough for them to see me and we've got to have a true relationship otherwise you're just you're just rambling on yeah and so one of the greatest things you can do to fight human trafficking is invest in your relationships yes. Yes. actually do relationships well study mm-hmm. how to do that well have yeah. great conversation have the rumbling conversations yeah. okay i want to bring up one more topic before we uh before we leave there's one huge misconception that trafficking and i'm thinking of the story you told me last week amanda that trafficking only happens for people who are in low-income situations people in urban settings it's 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 very specific to a certain demographic and that brings me back to a a different conversation a number of years ago about drug use and i remember talking to a very wealthy person in one of the most wealthy suburbs in the entire country and he said we have just as bad of drug use in our school as they do in the inner city the difference is all the money covers it up so nobody knows it's happening so it's actually a bigger problem in this wealthy school than it is in inner city because we can't even see it so talk to me about what just that misconception that it's just a, a bunch of poor people hard on their luck or a certain demographic or people that live in a certain area. So this one's kind of easy, Matt. How many people have vulnerabilities? 100% of every person in the so world. So 100% of people are at risk to be trafficked. So traffickers prey on vulnerability. So they're going to look for someone who is struggling with something. And then they're going to try to provide that need. So if we are all vulnerable, we're all at risk to be trafficked. Now, the greater, the more vulnerabilities we have, the greater our risk. Sometimes that does come with where our economic status is or where our relationship status is or what part of the country we, we grow up in or what side of the track we live on or, you know, whatever. But... The reality is, is we as human beings have vulnerabilities. Um, Traffickers often use Maslow's hierarchy of needs to train other traffickers how to lure in their victims. And so if they're using the same things that our psychologists are using to help us, right, it's everybody's at risk for it. So everyone, it doesn't matter whether you're upper, middle, or lower class, you are at risk. The way to keep ourselves from being trafficked is exactly what you said a few minutes ago, which is be in community, build relationships, acknowledge our vulnerabilities, acknowledge when things are hard, and ask for help from those in our community, in those that we're in those 
real authentic relationships with. So the reality is, is the myth is, well, only those people could be trafficked. No, anybody can be trafficked. I've have, um, survivors that I'm working with who come from really wealthy families. I have survivors who are the poorest of the poor. I have survivors who are being trafficked out of their home and their parents still have no idea that it's happening. I have survivors who are walking the streets and everybody would look at them and call them a hoe. We see all walks of life. Um, I was trafficked by a youth leader in my church. You know, um, most people say, well, it can't happen in church. Yep, it can happen in church. Trafficking never looks at gender, age, ethnic background. It doesn't discriminate. With the way we have sexualized our culture, someone has a desire for every demographic. It doesn't matter if they're skinny, if they're obese, if they're old, young. Someone's looking for some sexual act with that type of person. That combined with everybody having vulnerabilities, we're all at risk. Well said. Well said. Well, thank you guys for being a part of this. There's so much good stuff in here. We're going to have to keep this conversation going as well. I feel like I say that all the time. There's so many conversations <laughs> that keep going. We do work in the same office. Like, we do. Happen. So we can just, you know, we'll keep it going for sure. But uh, everybody listening, make sure you keep this conversation going. Check out the Fierce Freedom podcast. Just look up Fierce Freedom on whatever your podcast app is and you will find it there. That's a great way to have consistent conversations surrounding various aspects of trafficking. You can find more about Fierce Freedom just by going to fiercefreedom.org and you'll see uh, just all sorts of materials and educational opportunities for you there. But just get involved and start by just engaging in your relationships and being honest with your vulnerabilities. And it is actually possible that we can work together and get rid of human trafficking in our communities, in our country, and in our world as a whole. But it has to start somewhere. And the best place to start is with ourselves. So thank you guys so much for being a part of this means the world you guys are the best thanks Pat. thanks all right again to keep track of what john and amanda and myself are doing with fierce freedom go to fiercefreedom.org and there's all sorts of information there of course to support this show make sure you subscribe to it and then give it a five-star rating and write a review until next time keep walking 